I'm reading this morning from Matthew 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, good morning. It's good to see you, and especially those who are back from family camp, who were there last week. How many of you went to family camp? Look at that. That's awesome. Well, it's good to have you back. We missed you. What a great time up there, though, fellowship and learning together and playing together. It's a wonderful time. You know, after 53 years of living on this earth, after a lot of careful study and observation, I've learned something really profound. This world is a mess. (laughs) Bet you didn't know that, huh? (laughs) No matter where you look, it's obvious, isn't it? I mean, if you look at nations and conflicts they have all over the world, the violence that exists within nations, genocide and battles and wars and difficulties and struggles on national scale, and on smaller scales, there's violence, corruption, political corruption, bribery. You see the greed of international and national corporations that are willing to cause great harm to people and the environment for a buck. If you watch the news, the crime and the terrible things that happen to one another in our world because of evil in our world. And if you just listen to someone's story, if you really get into someone else's life, you will hear stories of pain, struggle, difficulty because we live in this evil world. And if you look at your own heart, there's a struggle with evil, right? So anywhere you look, on any level, this world's a mess. We can't escape it. We can't get 
away from it. Now, this world was created perfect, and we know that, right? It was created, the Garden of Eden was beautiful, perfect. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden, and there was no sin, no corruption, but then sin came and tainted everything. Not that everything is horrible. There's goodness, there's beauty in the world still because we're made in God's image, but everything has been twisted and tainted by sin to some degree. And so we live in a world where that is obvious. When we give our lives to Christ, we turn our lives over to Him as Lord. We have an increased longing for righteousness, for things to be right, for justice. But life in this world can stretch our faith, can't it? Because we long for that, and yet this world is evil, and it's difficult, and it can make us really wonder about God. God, are you really just? I mean, if you're sovereign, if you're really Lord, all authority has been given to you, as we've been told, and we believe by faith. Why do you let evil go on? Why does it prosper? Why do good people get hurt in so many ways? Do you really care about evil, God? Why do you let evil people get away with so much and innocent people suffer so much? I think any thinking Christian is going to struggle with this. And it stretches our faith. And if you feel that way, you're not alone. <laughs> Let me, uh, we could look in a lot of places. I want to look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 where this minor prophet says this, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you won't hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me, Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Another prophet, Jeremiah, chapter 12, says this, verses 1 and 2. Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? You've planted them. They've taken root. They grow. They've even produced fruit. You are near to their lips, but you're far from their mind. There's that struggle. Lord, I don't understand. What are you doing? This parable that Jesus tells that we're looking at today, I think, begins to answer that question for us. Not every detail, but it helps us understand God's plan for us in this world, being left in this world as it is, evil, waiting for justice. This parable helps us understand God's great heart for us and for the world and why he's left us here and didn't just take us to heaven immediately so that we can know how to be God's people in the midst of a corrupt world. So let's pray and then we'll look at this parable together. 
Lord, how we need to know how to live for you in this corrupt world. Teach us today. Change our thinking. Help us see life from your perspective, not our own. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder to understand this parable, I think it's really important that we understand the context, the expectations of the nation of Israel that Jesus is speaking to at this time. Remember, they were under oppression, the Roman oppression. It was, had been a very difficult time. They were longing for Messiah. And as they longed for Messiah, they were longing that he would come and destroy all evil and set up a kingdom of righteousness. Isaiah chapter 1 reflects that. And again, we could look at a lot of places in Scripture. I like the way Isaiah puts it where he says in verses 26 and 27, the promise that Isaiah gives from God, I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. After that, you, Jerusalem, will be called a city of righteousness, a faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant ones with righteousness. But transgressors and sinners will be crushed together. And those who forsake the Lord will come to an end. So Israel had this great hope that there will be a kingdom that will be restored when the Messiah comes and he will get rid of evil and he will set up a kingdom of righteousness. So now Jesus has revealed himself as Messiah to his disciples, to those that were there. But naturally the question comes, okay, well if you have all authority, if you're Messiah, the long-awaited one, where's justice? This is such a corrupt, unjust world. What, what's the deal, Jesus? What are you doing? Are you really just? So let's look at his answer to that question of our hearts in this parable. First of all, we see God's plan. And God's plan, though we may not like it, <laughs> is that we coexist with evil. We live in the midst of evil. That is his plan. Notice how he describes it in this story. First of all, he begins and he says, this is about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God may be compared to. He's giving real spiritual truth here. This is the reality of the kingdom of God that exists right now all around us. Whether you can see it or not, the kingdom of God is here. And he wants us to understand how it's functioning. And notice he says that he sowed, a sower sowed, but then an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Tares is just an old-fashioned term for weeds. He sowed weeds among the wheat. There's an enemy, notice. And as Jesus is telling this story, the truth is that actually people did that in those days. If they wanted to destroy another person's livelihood that they didn't like, they would actually sow seeds of weeds in their field to destroy their healthy crops. How do we know that? There were laws against it because people actually did that. And so what he's describing here is something that people had actually seen and experienced. There was a Roman law against it. Notice the slaves are upset. The slaves of the landowner came, verse 27, and said to him, Sir, boss... Didn't you sow good seed in your field? How then did, does it have tares? How does it have weeds? 
It's almost like, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's almost like there's a little accusation there. Hey, it's not our fault. <laughs> there's weeds here. Uh, we didn't do it. You sowed, you gave us seed, and you know you sowed good seed. So how are there weeds? But he explains that it wasn't him. See, sometimes I think we blame God for the evil in the world. And he's saying, no, there is an enemy that we face. And he has done this. We'll say more, more about that in a moment. And what grew up is tares, weeds. Now, it's pretty universal among commentators that this was probably darnel, which is a weed that I won't even try to say the scientific name. It's too complicated for me, but it's fairly common. And it can grow up within weed. And when it's young, it grows up and it looks like wheat when it's growing. You can't really tell it apart. But its roots are deeper than the wheat and wrap around it. So if you try to pull up the weeds, you end up pulling up the young wheat as well and destroying that. Well, Jesus is very accurate here in his agricultural understanding. And he's saying you can't do that. So the only way you can deal with it is let it grow up until it produces fruit. Darnell, when it heads out when the seeds are produced they're actually little black seeds in the head very different than wheat which you see on the picture here so at that point you can see what it is and you can separate it at the harvest time and separate the wheat and the darnel and burn the darnel he says and thresh the wheat so then he goes on in verse 36 to give the explanation and I appreciate the fact, just to highlight this, he left the crowds, went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares or weeds of the field. Remember the purpose of parables? We talked about it last week. The purpose of parables, the reason Jesus talked in parables, which are stories with hidden truth, is so people will come to him for the answers. They'll be curious. They'll say, I don't get it. I need Jesus to reveal reality to me because it's hidden from me. I don't understand it fully. But that's exactly what the disciples are doing. They're coming to him for the answer, which is wonderful. And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do with our lives. You see, the world is constantly making noise, yelling at us lies. What we ought to believe, it says that you need to be your own God. You need to trust yourself, not God, that you need to take control of your life, that it's all about you, etc., etc., etc. I don't know about you, but I had never really watched the World Cup before, soccer. But this year, I watched it. I thought it was really interesting. I got into the games. I enjoyed it. But one of the first things you notice when you watch one of those games in South Africa, they love to play the Vuvuzela. Someday maybe we'll have a Vuvuzela worship, sir. I don't know. No, that would be... So, they're really loud and obnoxious and distracting. Constant horns just blowing at this weird note. And after a while, though, you learn to focus. And after a while, I got to where I didn't even notice it was there. You see, there's this constant background noise in the world telling you lies. But if you learn to focus on Jesus, listen to him, come to him like the disciples did, Lord, speak to me, reveal reality to me, help me tune out what the world's telling me and the lies 
then you'll begin to have God begin to open your eyes to spiritual realities that you could never see otherwise. But it takes focus. Focusing on him, beginning to tune out the background noise the world is throwing at us. Verse 37, he said this, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The sower is Jesus, the Messiah. Now I think that's really significant because he goes on to say what the seed is in this parable, it's different than the parable of the sower. In this parable, that was the seed was the word, right? Well, in this parable, the seed is believers, sons of the kingdom, he says. And it says Jesus, the Son of Man, is the one who sows them. I think that's really important for us to grasp, that Jesus is the one who brings people into the kingdom of God, not us. It's not our job to convert people. It is our job to be wheat, (laughs) to be good wheat, to be fruitful wheat, to live out what God's created us to be, and to speak truth, to speak the gospel, to share the good news with people who are dying. But it's He who brings people to Him. And then the other thing that strikes me about this, him being the sower, is it says, the field is the world, verse 38. And as for the good seed, they're the sons of the kingdom. Interesting. If you think about the implications of this, is it says that Jesus is the one who scatters us in the world, right? Now, some people take this, this parable to be talking about the church specifically, but it specifically says, no, it's the world. See, Jesus sees his kingdom as covering the whole world, not just the church, the institutional church. It's the whole world. And Jesus scatters seed, scatters believers throughout the field, the whole world. You see, Jesus wants believers scattered everywhere so that we rub shoulders with the tares of this world. (laughs) That's his plan. And it means that he scattered you where he wanted you. Now, sometimes as Christians, you know, we're in a job where it's really difficult and we're dealing with really difficult people. Or maybe you're in a family where you're dealing with really difficult people or a neighborhood, a situation, or whatever. And it's tempting for us to say, man, I just want to leave this, get away from those kind of people and just be around Christians. Yeah, they have problems too, but maybe not quite as many or whatever. You know, we want to go where we feel more comfortable. But what we need to see is that Jesus puts us where he wants us because he wants believers in the midst of tares, in the midst of an unbelieving world. That's his plan. That's what God designed. He wants us in the field. So you are where you are today in the particular job you have, with the family you live with, in the neighborhood, etc., because that's where God wants you. He scattered you there because he has a purpose for you being in that situation, rubbing shoulders with the tears around you. I think this is encouraging, should be encouraging to us that we don't need to question all the time, oh no, am I in the right place? You know, maybe I made the wrong choice. Now, you know what? Jesus is in charge of that. He's sovereign. He gets us. Now, if we're totally withdrawing from the world, that's a problem. And 
And I'm not saying there aren't times where we need to make a decision to leave a job that's difficult or whatever. Sometimes Jesus will lead us to do that because he has other purposes. But in general, in general, he puts us around difficult people for a purpose. He's the sower. And as I said, the field is the world, which reminds us that Jesus has a heart for the entire world. He wants the entire world to be saved. Now, this would have been shocking to Jesus' Jewish listeners because their idea was the kingdom of God is going to come to Jerusalem, Israel. We are the field. We are the chosen people. And that's where God's going to work. And Jesus is saying, no, there's a new plan now. It's not just Israel God's working with, but it's the entire world. And I want believers everywhere. I'm scattering them throughout all the known world. So it's a reminder to us to not just hide out with Christians, but realize we have a purpose in being in the world. Not of the world. We're still to be wheat. We're not to become tares. We're to be wheat, but we need to be in the world, but not of it. That's his plan. He says there's two kinds of seed. There's sons of the kingdom and the tares, it says, are the sons of the evil one, of the devil. Two kinds of people in the world. Followers of Jesus and followers of the devil. Now, this is not a popular statement today, is it? Because we want to make all kinds of distinctions and say, well, there's bad people in jail and then there's pretty good people and maybe there's Mother Teresa's that are really good people and, you know, there's all these kind of... And we want to blur all the lines and you know, make all these comparisons and it, you should never judge, etc. You know, that's what our world tells us. It's a relativistic world. But what we see here is that God only sees two kinds of people in the world. Sons of the kingdom and sons of the evil one. Like the way Ray Stedman put it, he said, God always sees humanity divided into two categories. Sometimes they're called two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Sometimes they are regarded symbolically as two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon. But there are always these two. Always these two. And it's important for us to recognize that. That's how God looks at every human person. Either you're a son of the kingdom, wheat, or you're a son of the evil one. You're a tear, one or the other. You see, if we really believe this, then it would change our perspective, wouldn't it? Because we would look at every person, not, are they a pretty good person? Well, then they'll probably get into heaven or whatever. No, we'll want to know that people know Jesus and we'll be more urgent to find out if they know Jesus and to tell them about him because they need to be sons of the kingdom. Sons of the kingdom. That's what... We all need to be. No matter how people look, no matter how good their lives seem or whatever. And I think there's a reminder here that, you know, when wheat and tares are young and they're growing up, they look a lot alike. You can't really distinguish them. Sometimes people say, well, yeah, but I know a lot of non-Christians that look a lot better than Christians. Well, of course. Because we're all just growing and... It won't be till we really begin to really bear fruit 
and we learn to depend on the life of Christ in us and he's living his life through us more fully that hopefully we will stand out. But in the meantime, you know, we're just growing. We look quite a bit like the tares around us. So God's plan is this coexistence to plant Christians in the midst of unbelievers so that we'll rub shoulders with them. And I got to admit, and I'm sure you feel this way too, that's pretty uncomfortable. I mean, the tares have sharp leaves. I'm kind of embellishing the story here, but think about it. <laughs> and, they, and you rub shoulders with them, they cut you, and you get cut and bruised and hurt. And it's painful to live in a messed up, corrupt, evil world. It hurts. It hurts. But we need to understand that that is God's plan and we must not seek to flee out of this world or run from it, but to understand it's God's plan. I think it's worth asking here, well, why, God? Why is this your plan? Now, that's something that he does not answer in this parable. But I want to give you a couple suggestions because I don't want to leave you hanging wondering, yeah, God, why did you leave us here? And we could probably look at a number of things. I just want to highlight two. One, he leaves us mixed in with tares, with the world, with unbelievers, for their sake, for the unbelievers' sake. Because, and, and here's where the analogy, the, the parable kind of breaks down and where Jesus doesn't take it this far. But, the amazing thing is you're either one or the other, right? Sons of the kingdom or sons of the devil, but the sons of the devil can become sons of the kingdom. Tares can become wheat. And again, that's where the story breaks down, but that's the teaching of scriptures is that God puts us among the tares so that they will get a taste of who Jesus is and long for him and come to know him. In 2 Peter chapter 3, as they're struggling with, God, why don't you bring justice? Peter writes this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So we're left in the middle of tares, wheat is, of unbelievers, so that many of them can come to Christ. You see, God's being patient because he longs for everyone to know him. That's his great heart for tares. He loves them. He died for them. He sent Jesus to cover their sin just as much as ours. And, and we come by grace to know him, and they'll come by grace as well. So he wants us to be light and salt, to glorify him, to show people the truth, to speak the truth to them as we rub shoulders with them so that they will come to know him. Secondly, I think he leaves us in the world with unbelievers, rubbing shoulders with unbelievers for our sake, for our sake. Romans 5 puts it this way, and again, we could have looked at a variety of passages, but Romans 5, verse 3 and following says, not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. Been doing a lot of exulting in your tribulations lately. Rejoicing in your tribulations. But as believers in Christ, we can, and here's why. Not because we like the pain, being squeezed 
by wheat, I mean by tares, by weeds, <laughs> but we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance proven character, and proven character brings about hope. You see, he leaves us in a place where we get squeezed by an evil world so that something will happen within our character. It will be transformed as it is chiseled away and cut away as we go through difficulty and we learn to depend not on ourselves anymore but on Him, as we learn to trust Him in the midst of life, in the midst of pain and evil and struggles, and we trust that He is a good God and we learn to depend on Him, it changes us so that we become more like Him. It's simply our school for Christ-likeness, for how we become more like Him. So as we experience the struggles of life and unfairness on our jobs and rejection and hurt, it shapes our souls. We learn to trust Him and depend on Him and mature, become mature so that we bear fruit for the kingdom. We learn to die to our own self-dependence and learn to depend on Him. And Romans 5 says something interesting. It ends with hope. You see, I think He leaves us here so we will learn to live by hope. Hope that this world is not ever going to satisfy us. Just think, if, if this life really worked well and was totally just and fair and everything went well, would we need to live by hope? No, we'd put our hope in this life because everything would be fine. But the fact it's a struggle, it's difficult, it helps us put our hope in the hope of heaven. That someday there will be justice, finally. Someday we will be righteous. Someday everything will be right again, like we long for. And that is our hope. Our hope is that justice is coming. He ends the parable this way, his explanation, verse 39. He says, The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, if we know, if we know God, we long for justice because we're made in His image and because we begin more and more to reflect His heart. And God is a God who loves justice. He is a just God. So what He says is that He will bring justice someday. But in the meantime, He wants us to be people who live justly. Amos says, Let justice roll down like waters. Let it be reflected in your life as we live out the life of Christ to other people. We ought to seek justice for the oppressed, for orphans, for widows, for those who are hurting, for those who are victims of all sorts of abuse, victims of sex traffickers, etc., etc. We ought to, as Christians, stand up for them. But all that we're recognizing that we will never fully bring justice on this earth. But we put our hope in the day when Jesus returns and there will be justice. He will judge evil once and for all. 
Now, this is not a popular message, is it? I mean, in our day, we want to be tolerant. Everybody's whatever. The world, again, the noise of the world is, oh, don't judge anybody and don't talk about judgment. And how can you say there's really a devil or a hell? There is, folks. Jesus says it right here. Judgment is coming. It is. And all those who do not know him will be judged. And it sounds horrible. They'll be cast into the furnace of fire. In that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we need to put our hope that justice is coming. But realize how bad hell will be. It's so bad that Jesus died to save us from it. Do you get that? Hell is so bad that Jesus died to save us from it. He says those who will be cast there are stumbling blocks or those who cause sin. That's a word that's used several times with the Pharisees. I think it's anybody who prevents others from coming to know God. And secondly, he says those who will be cast in are lawless. Those who act as though there is no absolutes. There are no absolutes. There is no law. Ultimately, God God's law doesn't matter. I determine what's right and wrong. And those who truly live that way will be judged. Those who reject God in either of those ways. But our hope, our hope, is that one, he will judge, evil will be wiped away forever. And secondly, our hope is verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Our hope is that one day when he returns, finally we will be righteous. Fully we'll live that out. It says the righteous will shine forth. Who are the righteous? Well, as you said earlier, the sons of the kingdom. Here it says we will shine forth in the kingdom of their Father. You see, it's not those who have it all together. It's not those who are more religious than other people who will be in heaven. It's those who have come to know God as their Father, trusted in His righteousness, become a son or daughter of the living God by faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for you. That's it. That's a son of the kingdom. And our hope, if you're a son of the kingdom, is that one day we will finally be righteous. And the word there means that light will shine out of you in such a glorious way that all can see. The only other place this is used to to shine as the sun by Matthew is where he talks about the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter and James and John saw Jesus transfigured and it said he shone as the sun. But we will shine as the sun. Why? Not because of our righteousness, but because of him in us, shining his light out from us. We're like the lampshades. (laughs) He's like the light. And out of us will shine the glory of of his life in the kingdom of our Father. That's our hope. That's our desire. That's what we long for. 
So let me just give you some final implications of this parable. Just to remember some truths to remind you of. Number one, don't expect this world to get better. Work for justice. Love others around you. Love your enemies, Jesus said. But understand, ultimately, we are not going to bring righteousness. We can't clean up America. We can't clean up the world. We can't even clean up our church, ultimately. (laughs) Our hope is in Him who will bring justice one day. And it's a reminder that all human institutions, even the church, are a mixture of wheat and tares. But it's not up to us to try to discern who is and who isn't a wheat or a tear. He, doesn't, he says, hey, you're going to grow together. That's the way it is. But let me say this as well. It's very clear in Scripture, though I'm not to try to figure out or we're not to try to figure out, oh, you're a wheat, you're a tear, and let's choose sides and whatever. At the same time, we are called to seek to be a righteous community. And so if we see a brother or sister really struggling with sin choosing to walk away from God, we are to seek to go after them and encourage them towards righteousness. That's clear in Scripture. That's part of loving one another. I'm not judging whether they're a wheat or a tear, but I am seeking to help them become more like Christ if they're claiming to know Him. Another reminder here is that in this age, believers aren't going to look all that much different than unbelievers. That's to be expected, at least until we mature and fruitfulness becomes more obvious in us. This also is a reminder that we do have an enemy who is out to destroy us. Satan is real. Hell is real. Judgment is coming. And ultimately, our hope is in Jesus' return. That's when justice will be satisfied. That's when all will be made right. That's when God will be avenged on this evil world. So in the meantime, what's our calling? To be good wheat, (laughs) to be salt and light, to bear fruit and to share the good news so that the tares can come to know him and be saved from the judgment to come. Let's pray. Lord, what a revealing parable this is. It reveals reality to us. It reveals the reality of spiritual warfare and the battle we face and the reality of this world in which we live that is a struggle for us. We admit, Lord, that's hard. It's hard to live in a fallen world. I pray that we would learn to depend on you and trust you in a way that we would be salt and light that many, many tares, unbelievers, would look at our life and want you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.